I know I've probably shared this with you before, but just in case you don't know this already about me, I am terrible with directions. I am. I mean, just to give you a little heads up, if you're talking to me about how to get to a place, <clears throat> and you say, hey, do you know where such and such place is? Chances are, I may know that I've been there before, but don't know how to get there. I'm just, I'm, I'm terrible with directions. And because I'm this way, I love when people give me clear, simple directions to get from one place to another. For example, the other day I went to uh, Connie and Andy Davis's for dinner. And Connie, I must have told this to her. She knows me pretty well by now. And, and when she sent me an email, she give, gave me directions beginning from my driveway. It's like, from your driveway, turn left. And I loved it. I mean, that's what I need because I am terrible at directions. And though they live several miles away, it was only two or three turns to get there. That's what I need. I need clear, simple, easy directions because if not, I'm going to get completely lost. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Solomon gives us here in this last section of this wonderful book. Today we are ending our study of Ecclesiastes. And uh, if you'll remember from last week, Solomon ended last week's passage with this familiar phrase. He says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And as we've discussed already at great length, life under the sun without God is vanity. And that word is taken from the Hebrew word hevel. And that word means a whole bunch of things, doesn't it? That word means meaningless, empty, futile, and fleeting. And you'll remember Solomon begins this book with that phrase, vanity of vanities, but aren't you glad he doesn't end with it? Aren't you glad he doesn't end this book with verse 8? Well, today we're going to end this book by looking at this great passage of Scripture, this last passage here in verses 9 through 14. And though Solomon up to this point has just been upfront with us about the fact that life is harsh, it's challenging, it's unfair, it's meaningless, he does us a great service at the end of this book by ending with clear, simple instructions for how we are to live life for God under the sun. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. It's going to be in verses 9 through 14. And I want to end this series by making sense of our days left under the sun. Solomon begins by telling us that we first, to live for God the rest of our days under the sun, we need to first get wisdom. No surprise here, right? Get wisdom. Once again, in verse 9, Solomon returns to the importance of wisdom. Solomon has made this point throughout the book, and once again, he's making the point that attaining and growing in wisdom is not to be optional for the people of God. It's essential. 
It's to be the preferred thing in our life. We're to value it over health, over wealth, over power, and over popularity. God's Word's also clear. We're not just to sit around and wait for it, right? We're to pursue it. Proverbs 4, Solomon tells us, get wisdom, get insight, seek it out, go after it. And Ecclesiastes is a book written by a man who's done just that. Though Solomon made a lot of mistakes in his life, there's no doubting that, right? Ecclesiastes is definitely proof that his life was not lived in vain. He learned some valuable lessons in life. And in this book, he imparts his wisdom to us. And so it's important that for us to gain wisdom, we need to seek it out by looking to Solomon in this book and looking to other books in God's Word. We're to get wisdom. Not only from God's Word, but from one another, right? We're not only to seek it out in God's Word, but... But Solomon is clear that we're to seek out people who are following after God, who are living a good, godly, wise life, and we're to seek them out so that we can grow in wisdom. Remember Solomon says in Proverbs, if you want to be wise, what do you got to do? Walk with the wise. Simple, right? Practical. So we need to seek guidance from those displaying godly wisdom, those who honor God with the decisions that they make and with the lives that they live. You know, there are people in this church who fit that description. There are. All you have to do is examine their life and see it. If you're here this morning and you're young in your faith, I want to encourage you to seek out those in this church more spiritually mature than yourself for guidance. And not only that, let me also challenge each and every one of you to be willing to go the extra mile to get wisdom. Many don't. They think, ah, that's too far to seek counsel from that person or this person over here is calling me to do things that are just too challenging or the book that guy gave me is way too long. It's just not worth it. Listen, God's Word says that it is. Wisdom is worth it. It is to be first in our life. It is to be a priority in our life. So we need to get good, godly wisdom. In addition to that, Solomon not only says to get wisdom, but he also says we need to equip others. What good is having wisdom if we don't share that wisdom with others. Solomon says this about himself in verse 9. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words, words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Solomon makes the point here that he's not just wise for wisdom's sake, for the sake of being wise, but instead he put forth a lot of time and hard work so that he could share his wisdom with others. Look what he says in verse 9. It says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge. 
Here Solomon is humbly acknowledging the fact that, that God has given him the gift of wisdom so that he will in turn give that wisdom to others. And boy, he does that in this book, right? Aren't you glad that we have the book of Ecclesiastes? I love reading about the Queen of Sheba when she came to hear from Solomon's wisdom. And she tells the people, you guys are blessed because you have Solomon imparting wisdom to you all the time. You are blessed. We have this book and others like it from him. And guess what? Same is to be true of us. We're not only to be getting wisdom, we're to be giving that wisdom to others. If you have biblical wisdom, you have a whole lot to offer people. You do. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm not Solomon, you know? Solomon's David's son. He's this king. He's this extremely wise and powerful leader. It makes sense that he would be influential in that way. But that's just not me. I mean, God has not called me to be a leader like Solomon who guides and directs and equips others in this way. Well, guess what? Sorry to tell you, if that's your mentality, it's not the right mentality to have. Scripture is clear. Each and every one of us as believers, no matter who we are, we are to be teaching and imparting and giving wisdom to others in some way. We are. We're to be getting wisdom, but we're to in turn be equipping others at some level, whether it be your spouse, whether it be your children, whether it be your family, your friends, your co-worker, maybe it be in a, whether it be in a small group setting, in a Bible study or a small group or something bigger than that. We are all called as believers to make disciples. We are called at some level to equip others, to teach and to impart wisdom to others. You know why? So that God's church, the body, would be built up. It's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4. We're to be equipping others. We're to be using the gifts that God has given us to, to give to others and to equip others so that the body of Christ, the church, would be built up. Parents, you need to get godly wisdom to give to your kids. Trust me when I say that if you don't instruct your kids in righteousness, they'll be instructed in some other way. There is a war taking place. And it's a tough battle. You know why? Because there are so many competing doctrines out there. Therefore, you have to be on the offensive. You have to go and you have to get wisdom. And you have to be able to detect messages and messengers who are trying to lead your children away from God, who are perverting God's purposes. We need to get wisdom and give it to others. Now, some of you are probably saying, okay, where do I begin? How do I start? Well, we talked about that already, right? The best place to start is looking to God in His Word. We need to begin by carefully studying the Word of God. Look at what Solomon says in verse 9 again. He says, I have weighed and studied and arranged many proverbs with great care. 
You know, Solomon, as wise as he was, he didn't just sit down and crank out these three books of the Bible in a night. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon. He didn't just effortlessly put these down on paper, did he? Now in verse 9, he shares a bit about the process of writing these biblical books. Solomon says, I have weighed, I have studied, and I have arranged these books with great care. Solomon was a student of God in his word. Though he was the wisest person to ever live outside the Lord Jesus, he worked hard. He spent hours and weeks and months and more carefully studying and arranging these texts of Scripture. If that's true of Solomon, how much more so should that be true of us? How much more so should we be carefully studying God's Word to get the wisdom we need to live a life that is honoring to God. For us to do what God has called us to do, which is to get wisdom and share that wisdom with others, it's a must for us to be students of the Word of God. I heard a statistic recently said the average American has at least four Bibles in their home. They have at least four copies of God's Word, and I mean, we have more, don't we? We're in Jacksonville, Texas, the belt buckle of the Bible belt. I mean, we have more than four, and we have all different kinds of translations. We have it on CD, on our computer, on our smartphones. We've got the Bible coming out of our ears. The only problem is we don't have it going in. God wants us to make a commitment today. He wants you to make a commitment today to be students of His Word so that we will grow in wisdom and so that we will in turn impart that wisdom to others. In verse 10, Solomon says, The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Once again, Solomon didn't have godly wisdom just to hold on to it. He had it for the sake of giving that godly wisdom to others. He said, I have found many ways to communicate God's word so that people will understand it, be energized by it, and so they can apply it to their lives. Solomon worked hard with his speech, and he crafted his words carefully. And, and I can honestly tell you, in doing sermon prep time week in and week out, this is what I spend the majority of my time doing. When I come to a text of Scripture, normally I can get the gist of it pretty quickly, depending upon the text. But I spend the majority of my time figuring out how to communicate it in a way where people from all ages and all backgrounds can understand it. My goal each week is for you to come here and after sitting in a text of Scripture for a while, go away and say, hey, that makes sense. I know what God's telling me to do. I'm going to apply it. But get this, that needs to be your goal as well. It does. You need to be spending time camping out in Scripture and, 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 and learning Scripture so thoroughly that, that you can communicate it in an effective way with your children and with your family and with your friends. You need to study God's Word and look for 
for good ways and creative ways to communicate truth. And get this, it's not about someone looking to you and saying, man, look at how much they know about the Word of God. That's not the point. The point is to communicate truth. I can honestly tell you, I I do not care if my daughters look to me and say, wow, Dad knows a lot when it comes to the Word of God. My goal for them is for them to understand it, for them to be challenged by it, for them to be changed by the Word of God. I dropped Ava off a few uh, weeks ago in her classroom, and uh, Patty Roberts, is she in here? I'm going to pick on Patty. I don't know if she's here today. But uh, she had the room, she had boxes all around the room, brown boxes. She was teaching the kids about Joshua and Jericho, and I mean, Ava's face just lit up. It was awesome. I'm sure that took her a while to prepare, but listen to this. I guarantee you, God blesses that preparation. When you spend time in the Word and think of good ways and creative ways to communicate truth. Because you're called to teach, you need to become students of God's Word and seek to learn God's Word so that you can teach it in a way that's enjoyable and understandable and applicable. In the uh, second half of verse 10, notice Solomon also shows us that a good teacher speaks truth. He says, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. If you're going to honor God in your teaching others, you cannot hold back and you cannot waver when it comes to difficult truths of the Bible. Let me warn you, this message is going to anger some. Now, you don't need to do it in a loving way. You need to speak the truth in love. But sometimes this is just unavoidable because people, they don't like the message of the Bible no matter how you put it. Let me ask you this. Is saying Jesus... Is the only way to God going to be accepted by all your family and your friends and your, and your co-workers? Absolutely not. But is it true? It absolutely is. We need to speak it. Let me ask you today, will you speak the truth? Will you stand for the truth regardless of the consequences? I love Ecclesiastes because Solomon speaks truth. He holds nothing back. Some of you were overwhelmed at times by some of the depressing realities that Solomon addressed in this book. And there were times after studying a a text of Scripture, I was thinking, "Mm, this may not go over well. But is it true? Are his words true? They absolutely are. Are we going to die someday, maybe today? Yes, we are. Is it beneficial to live each day with that day in mind? Yes, it is. That's true. After studying this book, we have a much better understanding of life because Solomon has helped us learn to live in the nasty here and now. He has helped us learn to live a heavenly life in a hellish world. But what if Solomon wasn't honest? What if he just blew sunshine? What if we left each day with this warm, fuzzy feeling and went out there? We'd be unchanged, wouldn't we? 
then we'd be rocked when the trials and tests and tragedies of life come upon us. And when that rug of comfort is pulled out from underneath us, the truth makes a difference. Solomon continues in verse 11 with this theme of why it's important to study and share God's Word by sharing other personal benefits of learning and applying God's Word. He says in verse 11, The words of the wise are like goads, and nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Once again, Solomon is using metaphors here to help us, the reader, benefit from studying and sharing God's Word and know how we can do that. He says God's Word is like a goad. Y'all know, goad? Y'all know what that is? It's like a cattle prod. Y'all know what a cattle prod is? <laughs> had to do some reading. I've never used a cattle prod. But I know it gets the cattle moving, right? Pokes them. Is that how it works? Probably doing it wrong. Y'all get what Solomon's saying? And he gives this metaphor here to show us that God's word is like a cattle prod in that it motivates us. It gets our attention and gets us moving for God. And we need this, don't we? We need the scripture to function in this way. Because at times, when running the race for God, we get sidetracked. Times we, we start off really good, but then we slow to a stop. And God's word functions as this goat or this cattle prod to get us moving and get back in the race and get living for God. That's what Solomon's done in this book. He's made the point numerous times to us, life is short. It's a vapor of vapors and you're going to miss it if you don't wake up and look to God and live for Him. Solomon also says God's Word is like nails, firmly fixed. Now, what do nails do? They hold things in place, right? Used to love to go camping. Haven't been a long time, but when we went, I'd go with family and we'd go in the late fall and early spring. Sounds good right now, doesn't it? When it's cool. The only issue is it gets really cold at night, but that's a good thing about it as well. And that, that wind at times will pick up in the middle of the night. And uh, so you've got to make sure your tent is firmly fastened to the ground with those tent pegs, or you're going to lose the tent. And uh, me and a couple of my sharp friends went camping one night, and we completely forgot about the tent pegs. And uh, we were running after a tent in the middle of the night. Glad it blew this way, because the fire was that way. It could have been really bad. But, but, but nails, they, they function in this way, and that's what God's Word does. Not only is it used as a goad or a prod to get us moving and get us living for God, but God's Word also provides stability and security in our life. There are many people who are being blown about and knocked about by the winds and the waves of life. They feel as if they've just been put through the ringer and they don't know which way is up. You know that feeling? Yeah. Maybe you know it today to be true. God's Word can function as nails, firmly fixed, giving us stability and security and confidence in a world filled with instability, insecurity, and uncertainty. Solomon says God's Word needs to be studied, and it needs to be taught to prod us, to get us busy moving for God so that our life is not wasted, and it also needs to be used as nails 
firmly fixed, providing comfort and security so that we can live life no matter the circumstances with God and experience joy while doing it. Now, why can we have this kind of confidence in a book like this? Why can we have that kind of confidence? Look at what Solomon says at the end of verse 11. Because the words of this book come from who? One shepherd. Solomon is saying here that the words within this book are true and can bring about change in your life because they're God's words to you. So we need to become students of it and equip others with it. The third point is a continuation of the second point. Though there are a lot of ways to train people to live a life that honors God, we need to first make the Bible a priority. Kind of talked about that already. Make the Bible a priority. Solomon says in verse 12, My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. Now this is a favorite verse for high school and college students. Students, as school gets started, and assignments begin to be handed out, and books begin to be assigned to be read, you can quote Ecclesiastes 12.12 if you like. I don't know if it'll make any difference, but it's worth the try. You can say God's Word says, of many books there is no end, and much study is a weariness to the flesh. Maybe you can use this verse to, to prod your teachers. Motivate them to not assign so much homework. I doubt if it happens. But this is true, right? There are a whole lot of books out there, aren't there? I was at the seminary library the other day, and I was looking for a commentary on Ecclesiastes, and there was this whole section of Ecclesiastes books, all of them different. I mean, there are so many books. I have 1,200 books on my online library that I'll never, many of them I'll never get around to reading on any and every topic you can think of. And I know some of you in here, you're avid readers. You read article after article. You follow five to ten blogs. You read as many best-selling novels as you can get your hands on. But let me ask you this. What are you doing with the best-selling book of all time? Last I checked, the Bible has sold more than six billion copies. That's more than five billion more than, than the second-place book. But is it the most read? Is it the most studied? Now, don't get me wrong. I love to read. There are some great books that I've read that have greatly improved my, my reading of God's Word. So please don't hear me say that we shouldn't read God's books. I mean, read books, especially those that, that help you better understand the Word of God. But what Solomon is saying here is, What's wrong is when we neglect the book, God's book, God's word. Because true biblical wisdom can only be found right here, right here in the scriptures. You want to live a life that God is, has called you to live? You want to not waste your life and make an impact for God under the sun? Let me tell you, it will not happen if you don't become a student of this book of God's Word. Have you ever met a sold-out servant of God who wasn't a student of His Word? Anybody? No, I haven't. 
So in your quest for wisdom, make sure you put Scripture first. Solomon closes this book with one last word of advice, and like the previous points he's already given, it's plain and simple. He says, you want to live out the rest of your days for God under the sun, and you want to live it in a way that honors Him, you must fear Him and keep His commands. Fear God and keep His commands. Look at verse 13. Solomon says, The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Here Solomon gives us two imperatives. Fear God and keep His commands. These are not options. These are not suggestions. They are commands in Scripture. Now, before we can talk about obeying God and keeping His commands, we need to focus on this first command of fearing God. We have to get a handle on this first and foremost. What does it mean to fear God? If you're anything like me, what comes into your mind are these hellfire preachers in three-piece suits, these big tent revivals, preaching about the anger and the wrath of God and calling for sinners to, to repent before God's fire falls. And because many have this negative view of this type of preaching and message, they don't like to think about God as one to be feared. So what people have done is, hey, I'm just going to focus on God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, and I'm just going to preach that. Well, guess what? Those who do that, who just preach God's mercy and His grace and His love and neglect God's wrath and His judgment, they're guilty of doing the same thing they accuse these hellfire preachers of doing. They're not preaching the whole gospel. God is a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. But God is a God of wrath. He's a God of judgment as well. Here's the truth. We cannot avoid this phrase, fear God. You know why? Because it's all throughout the Scriptures. It is. The Bible emphasizes fearing God as much as it emphasizes trusting Him and loving Him. So if the Bible teaches it, we need to make sense of it. Many have defined fearing God as reverential awe, standing in awe of God or in amazement of God for who He is and what He's done. And though that works in certain texts of, of, of Scripture in this passage, Solomon uses the phrase fearing God, and he follows it by talking about God's judgment. Look at what he says in verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So here Solomon is not so much calling for believers to acknowledge God as an awesome being as much as he is calling for us to fear God as a God of judgment. Now we should do both because Scripture teaches both. But in this text, he's not calling for us to stand in awe of God as creator king, but to fear him as our judge. That's what Solomon's saying. Jesus said we're to fear God because he is the only one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The Bible also talks about God as a consuming fire that, that, that we don't want to fall into his hands. 
The Bible also says that each and every person who has ever lived or will ever live will one day stand before God as judge. And we're told that so that we will experience fear and a holy terror of him. The Bible says fear God. Have a sense of holy terror when you think about him because he could crush any one of us with his breath. He's not a God to be messed with. He's a God to be taken seriously. We don't like to talk about that, do we? No, we want to leave happy and, and carefree. But Scripture emphasizes this, and we have to emphasize it as well. You know, it's hard for us to come to terms with the fact that we are to fear God. Listen, it's extremely beneficial to us to think in this way. You know, like I talked about earlier when I was talking about making sense of our dying day, we don't like to talk about death, do we? But Solomon shows us that living each day with your dying day in mind is extremely beneficial. Listen, the same is true when it comes to fearing God. Though we don't like to think of God as a God of wrath and judgment, thinking about him in this way affects the way we live in a good way, doesn't it? Which is why it's emphasized hundreds of times throughout the scripture and why it's emphasized here in Solomon's closing remarks. Believers, you want to live a life that honors God. The rest of your days under the sun, Solomon says, fear God. Live out the rest of your days with this mentality and it'll affect the way you live for God in a good way. Solomon follows by saying, keep his commands. He knew first we had to have the fear of God down, then we'd be ready for the second. He says, if you will fear God, really fear him, fear sin and its consequences, this will help you better live for him. Isn't that what Moses said? When he delivered the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, the people were terrified at the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the smoking mountain. They said, Moses, man, you talk to us, but don't let God talk to us lest we die. Remember what Moses said? He said to the people, God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The fear of God is a good thing. It helps us. It gives us the desire to better live for God. Solomon says this is what we're to be all about. This is the whole duty of man, to fear God and to keep his commands. Let me end with this. I want you to notice this morning, especially on this last part, I've been speaking to believers here. Believers fear God. Believers keep his commands because the truth of the matter is, without Christ coming to know God, for who he truly is, and fearing him and living a life that honors him is impossible. You want to live a life that honors God. The rest of your days, under the sun, you have to first be made right with him through his son. Solomon says, as he says in verse 14, we're all going to stand before God one day. The question you need to ask yourself is this, am I ready when that day comes. Some of you will say, well, you know, I've done the best I can. Surely that'll be enough for God. Listen, I can tell you, and I don't even have to pray about it, that it won't. God has made that much 
crystal clear in His Word. Your good deeds are filthy rags to God. What you need is a righteousness outside of yourself. And the good news is, this has been provided by the Lord Jesus. Through His life, death, and resurrection, Christ has made a way for us to God when there seemed to be no way. I want to end this series on Ecclesiastes the way I began it. By telling you that the only way to live a life that is honoring to God the rest of your days under the sun is by living your life in the sun. S-O-N. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you, God, for all you are and all you've done for us. Father, we thank you for your word. For the fact that you don't sugarcoat things in your word, Father, you give us the truth. 